Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Ooh, a spicy question. I <laughs> because love the it. writing is sort of everything, right? Like you kind of can fix plot holes, but if the yeah. writing... So some bad. readers love that and some readers are like, but I wanted more of this. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of a gamble. Hello, and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. With me today, uh, returning from what is becoming an annual feature at this point, last year's Romantic Novelist Association's Agent of the Year, and a finalist again for this year, also this year, achieved the London Book Fair's Trailblazer Award. It's LBA's Hannah Schofield. Welcome back. Hi, thank you so much for having me again. Um, lovely to be here, third year <laughs> in a row. Um, and even more lovely to be introduced with so many accolades to my name. <laughs> I know, every time you come on, it gets longer. It's, yes. it's, you're like <laughs> okay. Daenerys Targaryen. Well, I'm always like, oh, is it, you know, is it, is it too, too much to be like, oh, multi-award winning agent? Um, but it is true. So thank yeah. you. I'm excited. Well, facts are facts. So it's always a delight to have you on. Thanks so much for coming. Um, third time on the podcast. And as we've mentioned, it seems like every time you come on, you've collected another award. We added it to your introduction. Uh, and congratulations, obviously, again, this year for the RNA Awards, which are, which are coming up soon, down to the, the final two, you and, and Lena Langley. Can you do two in a row? I don't know. I mean, that would be pretty cool. I, I mean, I'm honestly just so delighted to be back on the shortlist. Um, Lena is, of course, absolutely amazing. So no pressure. Um, <laughs> but this was like a career goal for me. And when it came true, last year it was just absolutely awesome um and so for it to be be dangled in front of me again the second year running just feels really really exciting and affirming of all the all the work I'm doing in the romance space and it's yeah it's really lovely to have that recognition from the industry yeah it it must be like you said so validating to know that you are doing something that everyone else has sort of acknowledged that as, oh, this is great. They're doing a really good job and really kind of helping. Um, because as an agent, your job is to help authors. You know, obviously you have an investment in it as well, but your job is to help authors kind of be the best they can be and kind of have a career of their own. Yes, definitely. And I think agenting can sometimes feel quite insular. So having having that recognition is really great. And also, I think it widens the opportunities for my authors, particularly in the romantic space, that people know me for this area. And so when I'm working on authors' books, which are in the romantic fiction space, I feel like that gives extra clout to them, which mm -hmm. I really like as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you get these awards... So you won last year, and then you've got the Trailblazer Award this year from the Lion Book Fair. Do you notice a sort of um, uptick in how many submissions you get from, from authors and interactions? I mean, I feel like I always get quite a lot of submissions, so I yeah. wouldn't 
necessarily say there's been a much greater uptick, but I do think the proportion of submissions I get that are from romance authors probably has increased in the last year. And whether that's because of my award win or whether that's because that's a really hot place in the market right now, it's probably a little bit of both, I would say. Yeah. You, you work with the RNA, like on other things as well. So I'm guessing that you just have kind of quite a lot of crossover with their members and you'll probably get a lot of submissions just from people associated with that. Yes, definitely. Um, it's been really wonderful to work closely with the RNA for several years. And I attended my second conference with them this summer in person, which was really nice. Um, and I think that definitely led more people to my inbox. So yeah, I'm, I'm always on the lookout for, for romance submissions. So it's, it's a really nice partnership to be able to explore. Yeah. And so as mentioned, and long-term fans will, will probably have listened to both your previous episodes. Um, if you, and if you do want to hear more about Hannah's kind of career path into becoming an agent and um, what she does kind of day-to-day tackling submissions and things like that, go check out the other, the other episodes with Hannah. That's episode 15, episode 95. We'll get an update on how, what Hannah's looking for and, and working on uh, later on in this episode. But for now, I'd, I'd love the opportunity to ask some questions more about publishing and the kind of mechanics of publishing and, and deals. So it's often, I mean, it, it, publishing is a mystery to a lot of people outside the industry. I think to a lot of people inside the industry as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But when I go on the bookseller, and this is something I'd, I'd, I'd love to sort of get cleared up a bit, I go on the bookseller and I, I see a headline and it says, so-and-so has signed a six-figure deal mm-hmm. with whomever publisher it might be. What does that mean in terms of like, who's getting six figures? Is anyone getting six figures? How's that being divvied up between author, agent, and whatever other par- parties might be involved with that? Great question. Um... The six-figure deal obviously is a very broad term because yeah, it literally big range. anything <laughs> from £100,000 to just under a million pounds. Yeah. So that's a big range. And the way that monies are paid out on publishing contracts, it's not like you can get that deal and then quit your job the next day because you're unlikely to get all of that money up front. You will get some of it up front. So usually a advance is split into three or four sections, which will be on the signing of the contract, on the delivery of the final manuscript, which in practice means when the manuscript goes to copy edit, and then on first publication, and sometimes also the fourth part on first paperback publication. So say you've got £100,000 on the table for your book, Great news, first of all. That's really great news. (laughs) That's not all going to hit your bank account at once. That might be over the course of two, three, four years. And of course, the agent will take their commission on that deal, which um, the standard is 15%. Although in the UK, don't forget about VAT because that also takes a chunk. Okay. But after that, then money should always flow to the author. So it will come from the publisher to the agency. The agency will take their cut and then it will be paid out to the author. 
But of course, timings can really vary on that depending on how long the manuscript takes to complete, depending on when they're going to publish. So I would say like any author who is worried about finances or has questions about their finances, like definitely ask your agent to sit down with you and kind of talk through when the payments are coming, what your cut is going to be and be able to sort of like look at it holistically there. I think that's very important. A lot of authors and publishing people are obviously quite like humanities orientated because they're creatives. Um, Mm. But I love maths and I think (laughs) it's really important that everyone knows how to do the maths of their own income. So yeah, I do think that's really useful to sit down and crunch the numbers and if you're if you're looking for extra maths fun crunching the numbers of what you would have to sell to earn out your advance I think is also a very helpful metric so you sort of can know what you're shooting for okay so let's for the simplicity of maths if you had a a hundred thousand deal you're probably over the course of three or four years, you think, you're probably going to actually only receive about 70,000 of that because the rest of it will be tax or give or for the agent. Oh, I hadn't even thought about tax. That's a great point. <laughs> so, um, well, if you're, if you're a self-employed author with a UK agent based in the UK, mm-hmm. you will receive 82%. So in this case, that would be £82,000 mm-hmm. from the overall deal pre-tax. So okay. post-tax, I can't do that maths in my head right now, <laughs> but maybe that would be around 70000 So, So yeah, it's not, unfortunately, quit your job tomorrow money, but it is. And that's over the course of years, like you said. Yes, exactly. You know, of course, as the numbers go up, so too do the instalments. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, there's there's different different levels even in the six figure deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can it can contain multitudes. Yes, yeah, of course. But uh, but it's good to know that you know the lion when when you do read so and so has got a big deal. The lion's share of that is actually money that is being paid to the author. Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned it briefly there about advances. I've a simple understanding of how royalties work in terms of advances, but just run me through um, how it works with the, 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 the author gets the advance, which will be probably a, a quarter or so of whatever the deal is. Um, and then they need to, before they can start receiving royalties itself, like royalties directly, they have to pay off the advance with the royalties. Is that correct? Yes. So the way it works is everything that the publisher sells and that includes copies through the tills or ebooks or audiobooks or sometimes subsidiary rights, including translation. The author's chunk of that is accounted against their advance. For example, if you have a hardback royalty, that means you're going to get £2 per copy, which may well be a little generous, but it's useful for the maths, then you would have to earn back of those like kind of two pound increments all the way to your advance to be able to get any royalty payments on that. But of course, there'll be different formats. So it won't just be the hardback royalties. And if your publisher is also selling your translation rights, for example, if they do a giant deal in Germany, 
that's a really nice chunk out of your advance. And that might be two years before your book's published. So then you would have less that you would need to earn out before you can start earning royalties. I really think the thing to remember is publishers will make money before you earn out your advance. Otherwise, the whole thing wouldn't work. So if you are looking at your advance and thinking, oh my goodness, I'm still so far away from earning it out, or maybe I'm quite close to earning it out, but it hasn't happened yet. Rest assured that your publisher is still making money and like it's not necessarily a bad thing that you haven't earned out your advance. It's it's one of the <laughs> the very magical publishing metrics that they use to determine kind of their own profit and loss in-house. And it's quite difficult to sort of, I guess, impose any kind of meaning <laughs> to that. Okay. Um, so I think I think it is really important to sit down with your agent to look at the numbers to think how many copies would I need to sell to earn out this advance? How many hardbacks? How many ebooks, etc.? Or what sort of subsidiary rights would I need to bring in so that you have a sense of it? But very successful authors may never earn out their advance, and that's also fine. Interesting. I've also heard conversely of some authors, usually established authors, when they are negotiating deals, and this will be they'll already have multiple books published and they'll be, you know, doing this full time. People some people do like to try and have a smaller advance so that they can earn it out very quickly. That's also an option and some publishers have deliberately smaller advances so that authors move on to a royalty model more quickly. And either way, book money can be quite unpredictable. Mm -hmm. So if you have a really great season when you're earning royalties, and they tend to be accounted six monthly in traditional publishing deals. So you could have a really great six months and earn lots of monies in royalties, and then a downturn in the next six months, and then you wouldn't earn very much. So Again, it's a really difficult thing to sort of <laughs> predict. Yeah. Um, so it's why, you know, your agent should definitely be checking in with the publisher, checking in about sales figures, especially when you're on a either a royalty only model from the start or you've moved on to a royalty model having earned out your advance because it's just worth tracking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And presumably, as you say, it's very difficult to predict these things, but a publish will a publisher be more kind of excited about re-signing an author for more books if they quite quickly earn out their advance it depends on the publisher and it depends on the size of the advance if uh, yeah, yeah if an author's earned out like five hundred thousand pounds in six months then yes the publisher will be very <laughs> excited to take their next project Honestly, I always say to my authors, everything depends on a brilliant next idea. So kind of regardless of whether you've been a huge success, a medium success, or not the success that you've hoped, if you've got a really brilliant next idea, then that's the main thing. Sales figures obviously do factor into publishing decisions, either for recontracts or for taking a chance on an author who has publication history. But it's not the be all and end all always. Yeah, I think one of the coolest things for me, at least about publishing is that it's one of the few kind of creative industries where 
a lot of the time the product is bigger than the the than the creator and some like books are more famous than authors if that makes sense really interesting I guess that's true although I think to some degree for like brand authors there is more of that sense of like the author is who I want to pick up the next book from rather than like individual books um but yeah that's that's a nice way of thinking about it yeah I've always thought that people can name a lot more books than they could authors and even if they could name the author they probably wouldn't recognize them necessarily unless they're a super fan or something Mm -hmm. yeah no that's true um and I think even though we've come quite far from the sort of author in the garret no one knows who they are (laughs) era yeah um with sort of increased presence of authors on social media and so on there there is as you say I guess more of a more of a sense of privacy perhaps if you're an author although probably authors will say don't be ridiculous my publishers are actually on tiktok the whole time yeah as an agent no one knows who I am and that's ideal so yeah okay (laughs) I guess the um the recently passed Cormac McCarthy was the sort of last of the sort of epic. No one really knew anything about him has done like one interview, his whole career kind of authors. <laughs> I mean, you kind of have to respect that to be honest. Oh yeah. Um, but if you are an aspiring author and want to be that sort of person, I think that would be a red flag for a publisher. <laughs> you might want to have a bit more involvement um, yes. between author and publicity. Yeah. 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 I mean, also, I, I'm very impressed if your if your level of standard that you're aiming for is Cormac McCarthy. So, <laughs> good good luck to everyone attempting to achieve that. I, I hope I hope you do it because I would love to read. <laughs> Back down to earth. As an agent, you obviously take a cut of, like we said, you you take a cut of the deal when it's signed, um, which is standard fifteen percent. Uh, is there any? involvement or or cut from the royalties or is it all on the initial deal spread the word the jc penny friends and family sale is back and this week we're passing the savings on to you use your extra 30 percent off coupon to prep your home and style your family for easter that's extra savings on top of our great low prices plus share your coupon with everyone you know and love it's always better when we save together jc penny make everybody count Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. The 15% is on everything that the author brings into the agency. So any deals that they do, the agency cut will come off the advance if there is one, and then any subsequent royalties. So any payment that lands in the agency bank account will have a cut taken out of it before the author gets their much bigger cut (laughs) passed to them. Okay, right. I'm assuming you don't get the 15% of royalties when the author is not earning them because they're paying off the advance though. Does that did that make sense? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So that's just accountancy that's done on the publisher side right. and wouldn't result in a payment. Okay. Okay, okay. That's good to know. Good to clarify. Well, that was really interesting and enlightening for me. I hope it was enlightening for 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 people listening. Getting on to um, submissions. We've we've talked a lot about submissions and how Hannah tackles them in the previous episodes, but it's great to check in and see what you're looking for at the moment because you are open to submissions. Um, and whilst you do work in in romance, uh, as obviously is uh, attributed by the the RNA, just so everyone listening can, can know if they're thinking about submitting, what are the kind of genres and styles that you that you have on your list? 
I have on my list or have on my wish list? Although are they I'm, different? Not really. But um, as my list has grown, I find myself more intentional about the projects I'm seeking out, so that I'm not bringing people to my list who would compete with existing authors. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but in general, I'm looking for commercial and upmarket fiction across genres, as well as some nonfiction and some YA. Um, and I always say, if you want to win the Booker Prize, I'm not your gal. <laughs> um, so an indication of that is basically I don't do literary fiction. Uh-huh. And that's not something that I have any expertise in um, or particularly gravitate towards. So in terms of like tone and vibe, I'm very much a character driven reader I need to have a plot if it's all vibes again I'm not the gal for you um but I'm really open across genres I don't do sci-fi or saga um again just because I don't have expertise in those areas but more or less everything else I'm open to and in commercial fiction of course the the big thing is the cracking one-line pitch and that's true, whether it's romance, historical, thriller, whatever, that's kind of the thing that I will always get excited about um, in my inbox. And at this time of year, I do tend to be looking for kind of mystery thriller. I think it's something about the autumn just brings that out of me. But I'm I'm always open to being surprised. And I think, again, as my list has grown, I have less slots that I'm looking to fill fewer slots mm-hmm. that I'm looking to fill but I'm still I'm still looking for new authors I still love love the kind of rush of a new project landing you're like I must have this I must work <laughs> on this so yeah and all this is of course on the LBA website as well in case anyone wanted to have more specific guidelines um and books that I have loved but yeah I I'm I'm pretty broad church, quite okay. literally. Yeah, it's it's a sort of it's a sort of tricky um, dilemma of the agent as you build your list, as your list gets bigger, you sort of have less space to fill, but also you probably have more submissions than you've ever had. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, which is kind of terrifying, and I do like I often close my submissions mm-hmm. for a couple of months a year just so that I can honor a reasonable response time because I know authors find it so stressful to sit in people's inboxes never hearing back so I really try and honor that and at LBA we say three months for a response so that's kind of the longest I would let something sit there but sometimes it's just it's just too many I'm only one woman I only have one pair of eyes (laughs) and a lot of other things going on so sometimes that's the thing that has to give but everyone I've signed this year, I think that's true. Yeah. Everyone I've signed this year has been from the quote unquote slush pile. So it's still wow. very much a route to agents and a route to market. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent. When you, when you talk about um, just specifically on the things you said you don't um, represent uh, literary, got that. Sure. Um, when you say you don't represent sci-fi and saga, saga, when you when you say saga, you mean something where it's going to be like a three kind of book epic, a five book or a seven book kind of thing. 
oh no actually I meant for projects which are like romantic saga it's a very specific genre which tends to be broad strokes like women doing chivalrous things during world war ii seems to be the vibe um it's it's a huge genre yeah but it is a very specific area of the market and not something that i have been hugely involved with so i wouldn't feel like i would be the right person to take on a saga but i'm pretty sure lena as in the rna finalist um (laughs) represents saga so there are lots of agents out there, particularly within the romantic novelist community, who do work on that sort of project. And I, I love historical fiction, but I tend to non-war fiction more. Right. Um, and that doesn't cross over with the saga space. Oh, I didn't realise saga was, in my head, saga is like... Um, like a fantasy saga, right? Fantasy or like yeah. sci-fi space opera or, or even just like, um, is it P- Pillars of the Earth? The like historical fiction kind of saga stuff? Oh, yes. Um, I mean, to be honest, I would also not be the right fit for that just because <laughs> it's too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. And you also said you don't represent sci-fi. Is that like a blanket science fiction done or is it, do you mean more like hard sci-fi? It's pretty blanket for me. Okay. I, I just don't really get it. <laughs> Having said that, I also never thought I would be a fantasy agent and here I am. So, okay. But I, I'm very much like not a genre reader in those spaces. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of never have been. So while it's really exciting that fantasy and sci-fi have been much more, I don't know, like much more... Democratised kind democratized, of? Democratised, yes. Yeah. And... And there is a broader market appetite for those genres, which is really exciting. But I'm the reader who needs plot and character in mm-hmm. those other worlds more than the world building and the history of the genre, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes perfect sense. Because as you say, that that they've really changed. Fantasy and sci-fi have become this kind of thing where it's not the main thing in a lot of books now. It's like, Oh, this is the story happens to be set in a in a fantasy world with something like um, oh, I can't remember what it's called, Legends and Lattes. I don't know if you've read that or heard that, which is just about someone who starts a coffee shop in in the middle of town. And it's all about setting up a coffee shop and making it work and stuff. It happens to be set in like a classic fantasy world, but that's not what the story and the characters are about. It's about a very kind of kind of relatable and realistic. Mm-hmm. Even quotes realistic. <laughs> realistic, but with elves. Yeah. yeah, exactly. With elves and orcs and stuff. But like, they're just making a shop. They're not doing the classic, like, out to slay dragons to save you know, some royal family. Yes. Um, and within the industry, we tend to call that cozy fantasy at the moment. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which definitely is having a moment. <laughs> not cozy sci-fi, though. Is that a thing? Probably. I mean, people talk about Becky Chambers as sort of doing mm-hmm. cozy sci-fi. I must confess, I've never read any Becky Chambers, <laughs> but I know lots of people who are absolutely obsessed with her books. So, I mean, never say never. I just mm-hmm. don't tend to vibe with robots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's so. That's the main issue. What if? What if it was like a romance in? like just set on like the International Space Station with a bit of like slightly futuristic sci-fi stuff. If it was really romance-led, maybe. Okay. But I also hate space. <laughs> okay. So that's okay. kind of a hard line for me. I do hate space. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's fine okay um awesome well i i think that that clears things up and uh and i think people now know exactly not what to set, to send you <laughs> which maybe is more helpful i don't know yeah no that's definitely helpful because because otherwise you're, you're pretty eclectic and you are open to stuff and like you say you didn't ever expect to represent fantasy so maybe someone will crack sci-fi for you but um really think carefully anyone listening if you're thinking about subbing sci-fi to hannah don't call it sci-fi because don't, yeah. don't let her know until don't put it in the first three chapters you'll be fine <laughs> but also kind of general tip don't try and trick agents like they generally know what they want so yeah. And when you, because even if you manage to trick with the submission, you'll send the full manuscript and they'll be like, what, what on earth? This is not what I signed up for. It's got space in it. I don't yeah. want this. Where did these aliens come from? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, you know, I was going to, you already covered it. I was going to ask what, what you were looking for, but you, you very much covered that. I guess slightly on from that, curious to know if you, with, you know, your experience, kind of your unique kind of perspective on the industry, do you think there's any specific um, settings, tropes, genres that are that are building momentum at the moment to maybe become a big trend in the next year or so? Great question. Um, to be honest, I think the same things this year are true from last year. I know mm-hmm. we talked about this before. Romance and romanticy are not abating at all. There's still a huge appetite for that, particularly from... And I'm also noticing everyone wants sports romance at the moment, particularly Formula One romance. And I could not be less interested in Formula One, I'm (laughs) going to tell you. But the sports romance thing, I think, is really hot right now. And there are a lot in the pipeline that sound really exciting. So I think that sort of like tropey romance in a sports setting, basically, very much a la mode. Is that like a fusion of, because my, I've not read many sports things. Is that like a fusion of my, my knowledge being of sports, kind of motivational sports movies and television shows, which I do love, things like Friday Night Lights and stuff. Is that kind of a fusion of that and romance, just for ultimate feel-good reading? Maybe, but I, I think... Mostly. And I would actually, I would love to see more queer romances in this space because it does tend to be like, ooh, the hot American football player, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Really guy. And like, that's, that's great. Fine. But I think there are, there are other ways to play with that genre, perhaps with queer protagonists. Um, that could be really exciting. I've, I've had my eye on a couple in the YA space. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully that will also come into the adult space. But I think it's a really thriving area of the market, which is very exciting. And particularly as someone who is very invested in the romance genre, um, as a reader, as well as as a professional, it's, it's really cool to see that there's like more and more an offer and really something for everyone. Yeah. It's, but yeah, romance, I've seen that more than I think maybe fantasy because I think Game of Thrones made fantasy very mainstream popular. And now you get all sorts of fantasy from like cozy, which is a new kind of very getting a big as a genre to like, there's a kind of whole spectrum of it, but romance really has become so inclusive. There is like romance for everyone now. It feels like. Yes. And of course there's still work to be done. Like certainly the, the biggest romances don't tend to be the most diverse which mm-hmm. is not the best. And I think a lot of people have done research and sort of think pieces on how TikTok really pushes certain books that tend to be very straight and white and 
able-bodied, etc. But there's always been real great moves to inclusive stories in the indie publishing sphere in romance, and that is showing in trad pub at the moment. So I'm hoping that it's still gonna like keep trending that way. So there will be love stories for all because that's that's really what I think we should have on the market is love stories for all. Yeah, because it's yeah, it's it's one of the single most relatable themes that can be in in any story, I think. Yeah, definitely. And also I think because there's so much romance out there, there's also a space for books which are about relationships but that aren't romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. Um I think I'd love to see more, I guess like family relationships or friend relationships given the same weight as romantic relationships. I mean obviously it wouldn't be in the romance space, but thematically I do think those are those are really interesting things always to to push on. Yeah, I think that's actually um I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure that was a direction that Disney started going in a while ago with the, like they started with like Frozen where it was just the whole thing was like a subversion where it wasn't actually the romantic interest it, the, the romantic relationship wasn't the true love it was her and her sister I feel like that's a light bulb moment for me I'm like of course <laughs> of course Frozen was the first one to do that listen yeah. talking about sisters I'm obsessed I have a sister so that probably is why <laughs> but um yeah I love I love those either family or found family stories Mm -hmm. where your soulmate isn't necessarily your romantic partner. Yes. Um, And that's also, I guess, the diversity of stories, right? It's not just one sort of experience that is the right one. Mm -hmm. Everyone has has different experiences, but everyone has relationships Mm -hmm. in some form. Yeah, true. And that brings us uh neatly to the to the to the end of the episode where normally i would ask um i would ask what what book you would take with you to to the desert island but you've been on the show before you have given an answer you went with the tenant of wild fell hall mm-hmm. by Ambronte. would that still be your choice it would still be my choice and i think last time i said that's still my choice caveat Otherwise, it would be eligible by Kirsten yeah. Sittenfeld. That's still true. Those would still be the books. Wow. I reread Eligible this year. I haven't reread Tenant this year. Maybe I should. Maybe I think you said the same thing last year. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, it's been two years in a row that I haven't read it. So I definitely should reread it. It's time to reread. <laughs> maybe that'll be my Christmas treat. Oh, that'll be nice. Always good to go back to an old favorite. Um, well, I'm very impressed with uh your conviction uh at keeping those those same that same first and second choice as as your as your books over the years i am far more fickle than you with my favorites so (laughs) i have a lot of favorites but i think the real top tier ones are difficult to displace but you never know maybe year number four will be the one and i'll have a surprising (laughs) answer next year we'll see we'll see i'll we'll check in next year and find out yeah um (laughs) Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for for coming back on the podcast, sharing all of your knowledge and and, and experience that you've got through through the years of publishing, uh, and telling us, giving us sort of glimpse behind the curtain. And good luck with the RNA Awards, which, as of recording this, is is just over a week away. Um, win or lose, I'm sure it'll be a wonderful evening. Everyone over there is so lovely and and brilliant. 
Yeah, definitely. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, And thank you so much for your kind words. It's been wonderful to have another chat on this podcast. (laughs) Always a pleasure. And for anyone listening, um, you can keep up with Hannah on Twitter at Han Schofield. That's H-A-N-N-S-C-H-O-F-I-E-L-D. And if you're thinking about querying Hannah or any of the other agents at LBA, head over to lbabooks.com where you'll find all of the submission guides as well as um, a recap of what each agent is interested in and looking for, etc., etc. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow along on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. You can support the show on Patreon. And for more bookish chat, check out my other podcast, The Chosen Ones and Other Tropes. Thanks again to Hannah and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.